Welcome to All Access Network Podcast. So excited that you decided to join us. You will absolutely love and you're in for a treat for today's guest. Uh, we are on a mission to positively impact the world through sports and culture. We're a multimedia network, we're a YouTube channel, uh, a podcast, and we also have live shows. Uh, if you haven't followed us on YouTube, you can find us at uh, All Access Network. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, you can find us at All Access underscore net, uh, where we also do some of our live shows, uh, along with Facebook at All Access Network. But so excited to have you with us today. Uh, we love for people to be able to write their story, uh, leave their mark, and create their legacy. We're on a mission. We appreciate you joining us. And again, please share, like, and subscribe uh, whenever you get a chance. And stay on this journey with us. It's going to be an awesome ride. I want to take time to acknowledge one of our partners, Rising Coaches. Every coach wants to rise in their career in one way or another. We're all looking for professional development, access to tools, and relationships that can help us grow and help us advance in our career. Rising Coaches provides just that. You can visit Rising Coaches at www.risingcoaches.com. Their memberships are just $10 a month and provides a genuine community to help you grow and advance in your career. Today we sit down with James Miller, Associate Head Coach from New Mexico State University. James Miller was recognized by his peers as the number one assistant coach in the WAC Conference. James Miller is a former junior college head coach at New Mexico Junior College, has won championship after championship after championship. I call the man DJ Khaled because all he does is win. You definitely want to hear more about his story and why I call him that. All right, so welcome to All Access Coaches Corner with Rising Coaches. Uh, check out www.risingcoaches.com to see all of the awesome features they have for memberships. Uh, over a thousand members. You can click on the website and check and see all the great benefits. Uh, today we have a special guest, James Miller, associate head coach at New Mexico State University, uh, the Aggies. Well, so the schedule will go today. We'll do a little bit of a uh, of interview first, and then we'll open up for questions, and then we'll go to some basketball demonstration by coach, and then we'll end with some more questions. So, kind of gives you an idea, but um. Man, one of the greatest people, first and foremost, in this in this business, man. I, I can't say enough great things about Coach. Um, obviously, the rest of the basketball world is starting to really recognize and show him love. Uh, top Connect was just at Villa 7, I think, a week ago or so. Got selected as one of the top co coaches in the country. Uh, was one of the 50 most impactful by another uh, media service. Um, has just continued to win and win and win. Was a junior college assistant, turned junior college head coach, uh, had enormous success at the junior college level at the Mexico JC. Um, as a husband, as a father, as a big time friend, uh, always a straight shooter, uh, super really good on the floor, a big time recruiter, underrated recruiter to be honest. Um, can't find anybody in the business that'll say anything bad about him. Uh, his trophy 
collection and, and range collection continues to add up by the year. Um, just just a high-level person. He will be a Division One head coach. I'll go ahead and say that. But just so well-respected, man. Excited to have him on. I'll let uh, his former uh, colleague, Ross Hodge, chip in on our uh, intro, and then we'll get going. Go, get going. Um, so you said it all, man. You said it all. Um, just unbelievable person. You know, good coach, great coach, better person. Super positive, man. Rarely has a bad day. Um, you know, and one thing that uh, was was fun when we first got to Arkansas State, um, things were a little different for myself coming from Colorado State. And one of those things were we actually had to share hotel rooms on the road. <laughs> so, but looking back on it, it was a blessing because Miller, Miller, Tom, and I, we shared rooms. And um, it was it was a super fun year that year. And um, you know, if you again you look at his his track record of doing things that have never been done, it and it continues to be that way. When he was at New Mexico Junior College, which was an extremely hard job in the Wag Jack, you know, did things that had never been done there, probably never be done again. No disrespect to anyone, but that's just how hard it was what he did there. And then you know, helping us at. Arkansas State and in our first year at North Texas and all the way continuing to what he's doing now. So great person, man. Um looking forward to hearing him talk. And um I miss miss seeing his his being in his physical presence. It was a fun, really fun two years. And you got and you guys got some hardware that year too, right? Uh we did, man. Year two for sure. One thousand percent due to James Miller, 1,000%. I'll let him get going. But, yeah, man, we were down and out. We had, we had actually got off to a decent start that year, our first year at, at North Texas. Um, got off to a good start in the league. I think we were like 7-4, and four, and we did not finish the year very good, man. I think we lost like five out of our last seven games. We were 15-7, and seven, um, a little banged up, and uh, we thought our season was over. But the opportunity came to maybe play in the CBI, and everyone in our program, not named James Miller, was in favor of no longer continuing playing basketball that season. But Miller Tom talked everybody into it. He had experience with it at Omaha, and he said it would be a great experience, and there was no reason to not to do it. And so he really like went out on a ledge and pushed us to do it. We didn't want to do it. We were like five-year-old kids screaming, kicking, and whining, and complaining the whole time. In particular, when the first-round matchups got shown, we had to go to Vermilion, South Dakota, to play South Dakota. Um, but, uh, but and in, in, in again, in true Miller time fashion, having that foresight, having that positive approach, he, he willed it, man, to, to happen. Next thing you know is we win one game, we win the next game. Next thing you know, you're – cutting down the nets the night before the national championship game, you know, in the super pit and kind of helped propel our, our upward trajectory of our program. So that was that. Yep. Yep. Great stuff. As I like to call him DJ Khaled, cause all he does is win. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started, man. So uh, during this quarantine, James, uh, what's one funny thing about yourself or that you learned about your family? I know you have two daughters and wife. Tell us a funny story during the quarantine. 
Uh, I, I would say the funniest thing during the quarantine that's taken place, I wouldn't say I've learned or saw, is just that uh, my wife wants me to keep my hair longer and, and the beard. So that's the mainstay, apparently. I tried to sneak off to the barber about two weeks ago, and she was very adamant that only a little bit could come off. So um, that's something I've learned during the quarantine. I like it, man. I like it. I like it. Tell us a little bit about your family, Jay. I know you're a big family guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I have a wife, uh, Darlene. We've been married eight years today. Um, she's been awesome because, like Coach Hodge just said, there's been uh, quite a few moves, especially over the course of the last five years, and, and she's been a trooper to say the least. Um, and then we have two kids, uh, Mia, who's four years old, and Macy, who's two. Um, and so they've, they've been awesome, two girls. Um, I would assume we're probably done uh, with the party, unfortunately. Um, but knowing my luck, we probably had three girls, which would be okay. Um, so, like you said, in, re in regards to the COVID, it's been a blessing from that standpoint because I've actually been able to be physically present, you know, the last couple months. Yeah, which is awesome, which is awesome. Yeah, I had the, the great pleasure of uh, probably living, what, about 20 minutes away from you when I yeah. was at UTEP when you first got there. So got to give you a little welcome party and meet the girls and hang out. And uh, our wives got to hit it off. and talk about how crazy their husbands are. So that, that was a good thing. But uh, we actually have the same anniversary. So happy anniversary to you. And we'll do some fun celebrating after the Zoom, I'm sure. Um, tell us, uh, <clears throat> tell, a little bit, tell the people just a little bit about your story. Like obviously from school all the way to when you played back, whenever that was. And tell us about how you got into coaching and a little bit of your journey. Yeah, so I'm originally from Colorado. Uh, I was a mediocre high school player, um, to be completely honest. Uh, didn't really work at it. Um, one of my best qualities, I think, is I have a pretty good self-awareness for the most part. Knew I wasn't going to the NBA or anything crazy like that. So um, I just decided to go to college at Colorado State University. Um, went there and, you know, it was a blessing because I, I, was, I was bored out of my mind my second year or my second semester, my freshman year, and decided, hey, I'm going to coach this little – you know, fourth grader group with one of my college roommates and having to do that. And, and, and that's where the journey really began in the coaching because I knew I wanted to do some sports uh, for, for a career. So we coach this four, fourth grade team, love it, know that that's what I want to do. So uh, my sophomore year of, of college at Colorado State, I actually coached uh, at Rocky Mountain High School. Um, I helped with their freshman team. Um, and then my junior year of college, I actually was the head sophomore coach. Um, so I got head coaching experience uh, my junior year of college. And so um, I realized at that point in time, I loved high school. I loved being around the kids on a daily basis. Um, but I knew that I wasn't going to want to deal with the parents, specifically the parents, on a daily basis um, in that capacity where they had so much power to, to get coaches hired and fired and, and those things based off the politics of it all. And so decided that you know, college is where I want to try to try my hat. So um, at the time at Colorado State, uh, the head coach's name was, was Dale Lair and, uh, and had a great experience as a student manager under Coach Lair. Um, he was really good at opening his arms to me in the program. Um, and so spent a lot of time my senior year uh, in college up in the office of Colorado State, uh, writing letters for Coach Everhart, who was recruiting coordinator at the time and getting to learn from um, you know, Coach Lair and Coach Bill Peterson who's at Baylor now. And, um, and and that's when I knew I really wanted to get into college. And so um, one day I asked Coach Lair to meet me 
uh, in the office. He probably thought something was wrong because, you know, why is some nobody in the program wanting to meet with him? And, uh, and so he met me up there and I just said to him, I said, hey, coach, how do I get in your shoes? You know, and, and he's looked at me kind of funny. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I want to be, you know, a division one assistant or a head basketball coach one day. How do I get, you know, to be a head coach of Colorado State 10 or 15 years from now? And so um, he gave me some great advice for young people out there where um, he mentioned you got to go somewhere where you can get your master's and then where you're most importantly going to get the opportunity to coach um, and the opportunity uh, to recruit. And so I took that um, and, and went full speed ahead. Uh, a couple of months later, uh, the director of basketball was leaving Colorado State and he called me in and he said, hey, James, you know, uh, so-and-so is leaving. Would you have an interest in being the director of basketball here at Colorado State? And obviously that's my alma mater and I, I love Fort Collins uh, more than anybody. And I said, no, and he kind of gave me a salty look and he's like, well, why is that? And I said, well, coach, two months ago, he told me I need to go somewhere where I can coach and where I can recruit and get my master's. And I can't do any of that as a director of basketball here. So um, after that, I did an internship, um, you know, at Arizona State University for a summer and, and learned a lot about the camp life from, um, you know, the grunt work and, and college counselor type uh, aspect. And then uh, was blessed when Pat Everhart, who was on staff at Colorado State, uh, got a head division one or head uh, D2 job, excuse me, at uh, CSU Pueblo, which used to be called Southern Colorado. And so um, I went and volunteered for Coach Everhart uh, after my internship, um, worked there for four years. Um, my first year as a volunteer, we practiced at 5.45 a.m. every day. It was a first-year program. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea. Um, but what I would do is um, I would go in. I'd, I'd get there for pre-practice at 5.15, which you, should, you might as well have said practice started at 5.15. Um, you know, practice started at 5.45. I'd, I'd be in the office, I'd work till 12 or one every day. And then I'd go wait tables four or five nights a week. And while maxing out my student loans and get my master's. And so that's how I survived the first year. And then after the first year, there was only about three players left. And, and I was the only coach that was left. So I was blessed when coach Everhart, you know, made me a full-time assistant at Pueblo. So that's kind of where I got started. And, um, and then from there, after four years of being there, I decided to what people, a lot of people at the time would say was take a risk and go to New Mexico Junior College and uh, work for a guy named Chris Tift, who's now at Central Michigan as an assistant. Uh, and so I worked for him for three years. Um, like Coach Hodge said, uh, New Mexico was pretty well down. Uh, my first two years uh, at NMJC as an assistant when Coach Hodge was at Midland, he was just whooping up on everybody, not only in the league, but in the country. Um, and so I was blessed when Coach Tiff went to TCU after three years of being at New Mexico Junior College as an assistant to get promoted to the head coaching job there. So um, we had good success uh, at New Mexico Junior College. I directly attribute it to the people I worked with, um, whether it was in administration or, or my assistants um, in the program, and then obviously a direct correlation of really good players. <laughs> so those guys made me look really, really good. Um, and so after three years of having – uh, pretty good success going to Hutch a couple times and winning a lot of games and sent a lot of guys to Division One. Um, was able to get on at Nebraska Omaha uh, as an assistant coach. And so, um, you know, a quick story on that is uh, one of the things I always try to do is do what's best for the kids, do what's best for the players. Um, we had a kid my my first year named Devin Patterson uh, when I was the head coach at New Mexico Junior College. We went to Hutch, lost in uh, overtime. At, probably the worst coaching job of my career, at least the last four minutes of the game where we were up 20 and ended up losing in overtime. But 
you know, Devin was a really good point guard who could have come back for us as a sophomore. Um, his mother really wanted him to go to a four-year school. So I talked Devin into going to Omaha. He didn't want to go. He wanted to stay. My assistant at the time, Brian Laurie, was thinking I was crazy. And I said, you know, I'm doing what's best for the kid. He can go have a three-year career at Omaha um, and, you know, and have, make a major difference. And his mom will be happy. So fast forward two more years, and guess what? It's Devin Patterson's senior year at Omaha. They have a job open up. Uh, Pat Everhart, who I work for at CSU Pueblo, is now an assistant at Omaha. And so the stars fell in place, you know, and I had to work hard to get that job. Division one jobs are hard to get uh, no matter what level you're at and got that job and spent a year at uh, Omaha. And then this is where my wife is really a, a saint. You know, we're in Omaha for it's really probably 10 or 11 months total. We just had our oldest uh, in November of that year. And then uh, Coach McCasin calls and, and asked if I'd be interested in, in joining him. He didn't tell me where at the time. And I said, yeah, um, I got to know him coach. Coach Mack really well uh, when I was at New Mexico Junior College as a, as a head coach and as an assistant. And he was true to his word. He always said if he got a job, he'd call me, and he did. Um, and so we uh, – next thing we know, on April 1st, I'm, I'm moving down to Jonesboro, Arkansas, to go to Arkansas State after he had just gotten a job at Arkansas State. And I had known Coach Hodge uh, fairly well um, and developed a relationship with him as well. So I was pumped that he was going, and um, it, it was it was awesome. We moved to Jonesboro. We loved our time there. And, um, you know, a lot like the first year at North Texas, we started off really, really well at Arkansas State, um, had some really big wins in the non-conference. And um, I know that that, you know, got people's attention on Coach Mack and how good of a coach he is. And uh, shoot, three or four days after the season, um, we're moving to Denton, Texas. And so it's, it's Omaha for a year, it's, it's Jonesboro for a year, it's Denton um, now. And, and, and so I was lucky enough to be with Coach Hodge and Coach Dowling and Coach Mack. Uh, at Arkansas State and, and, and at North Texas. And then, you know, this situation comes along um, late into the, uh, the summer. Um, I think it was like maybe the first week of August where uh, all of a sudden Coach Jans here has a, has a, an, a position open and um, just so happens to offer it to me. And so here we are. So I've been here for the last two years. But um, like I said, anybody, uh, <laughs> it's, it's our anniversary today. So I'll make sure I thank her again when I get off the Zoom. But, you know, to go from, Hobbs, New Mexico, to Omaha, Nebraska, to Jonesboro, Arkansas, to Denton, Texas, to uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, all within a four-year span um, can summarize the craziness of the last four or five years of my life. So um, we've been blessed here. Um, I love working for Coach Jans. We've won a lot of games. I've learned a lot. Um, but I've also learned a ton from the people I work uh, for and with along the way. Yeah, no, that's great, man. Definitely uh, awesome story. Uh, I'm curious. So you said a lot of great stuff in there, Coach. You talked about how you – I'm going to come back to the conversation you had with Coach Layer and what made you do that. But really a courageous move for you to not only do that, but then to make the move to junior college because most people would have stayed at the four-year level. And uh, junior college, we'll talk about a little bit more. But I know you have a, a real love for junior college and what it's done for you. And uh, you coach some elite elite players there, even some that are in the NBA now. Uh, and so I'm curious what made you actually have that conversation with Coach Layer that day to, to, to really just kind of pick his brain to make the next move? Well, you know, at the time when you're going up there and I'm, I'm writing two or 300 letters a day for CSU and they're thinking they're getting them from Coach Layer and Coach Pearson. Trust me, they're getting them from James Miller and I have terrible <laughs> names. Who, who's, who's name was signing? Who, who was what, you know? 
And so I thought to myself, I was at um, probably 99% of the practices, rebounding, doing whatever they wanted me to do. Um, I was writing letters I'd spent. I mean, it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to show up to practice at two and leave at four. I was doing whatever they wanted me to do because I knew I wanted to coach college ball. And I didn't know how any other way to do it other than just to jump in with those guys because I didn't, I didn't know anybody else. I thought those were going to be my meal ticket. And so um, it got to the point when we get to January of my, my senior year and, you know, a couple months down the road, I know I'm going to do an internship somewhere and, and try to you know, make some connections. And I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm here every single day. I don't ask for anything. I got like three shirts. That's about it. Um, you know, maybe a cu- occasional meal if they could squeeze me one out, you know. And and so I just I just knocked, you know, knocked on his door and said, hey, coach, can I meet with you on Monday? And he's like looking at me like, sure, you know. And, and I understand now why he, like, he thought that way. Um, but, you know, why would I not? I mean, you know, to me, everybody needs help along the way. Um, I've been blessed to get a lot of help from some people on this call. Um, you know, and I thought to myself, well, Coach Lair was a good guy. And he is a good guy. And he, he's a man of integrity. Um, so I knew that he wouldn't steer me wrong. Um, and even I knew that he would take 10 minutes out of his day to try to help a young guy. And he did. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. Yeah, no, that's – I think it goes back to you even. One last move. I know when you moved to uh, Las Cruces and I was in El Paso, we got to hang out some and even got to go to uh, your oldest birthday party uh, and have some fun. So credit to your wife. Hopefully you guys have a great celebration tonight. And hopefully this COVID has been great, like you said. Uh, we'll switch to New Mexico State, man. Just kind of get straight to it, man. What, what, you've been to a lot of places. You've done a lot of winning. What makes that place so special uh, at New Mexico State? Uh, New Mexico State's special um, because of support from the people in town, the people in the community, um, in the city of Las Cruces is, is really, really cool. Um, I haven't been in Division One for a, a, a terribly long time. A lot of places I've worked don't have great support um, from the outside standpoint, whether it's within the town or the athletic department. Um, here, uh, that's not the case. Um, we What we lack in maybe resources or, or money, we have in support. Um, everybody in town loves the Aggies. We're the biggest show in town. Um, they're, they're what drives the city from, you know, November to hopefully you know, late March, early April. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a special place. It's a really cool community, great people. And every single night, um, regardless of who we're playing, in the Pan Am, they're gonna they're gonna come and they're gonna be loud and they're gonna support us, uh, and they really gravitate towards supporting our guys and they take an interest in it. So that's a double edged sword sometimes. You know, I think Coach Jans has told the story a couple of times where I think last year we were um, we were down like nine with ten minutes left to go and we're still in the game and you hear people in the stands like getting reckless and saying crazy stuff and he's looking up in the stands like hold on now we still got some game left we end up winning the game but. Um, with that being said, like there's a blessing and a curse to that. Um, but I look at it as it's an extreme positive because I've also coached places where they could care less um, what your wins and losses are and the success of your guys and, and the support. So um, that's what makes this place really, really special in my mind. Yeah, it makes it a place where you, when you go to recruit and you show the picture, like the picture in your background right now, Talk about the energy in the building. 
Um, there's not a lot of that kind of a, a thing that they can sell. You can sell a lot of things, but when you can in that kind of support and really big time coaches to play for, uh, you definitely have a winning formula. Um, so yeah, you talked about your work ethic, man, from all the issue Pueblo, uh, all the way to Colorado State as, an, as a manager. I'm curious, other than his work ethic, because that goes without being said, along with yours, what do you think are three things that make Coach Jan so special, so elite at what he does? Yeah, I mean, the first one that you just touched on is he's relentless. I mean, he's relentless in all aspects of our program, uh, whether it's with our guys and coaching, film study, he still prepares um, and, and, and works like he's an assistant coach. He doesn't work like um, he's making as much money as he is or he's had the success he's had. You would think he's on the last year of his contract um, and he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure we're successful. So he's relentless is the first thing that sticks out to me. Um, the second thing that sticks out to me with coach is he's not weak in any area. He's good in every single area. So I've worked for guys that they're not necessarily bad in the area, but they're really good offensively and maybe they're not as strong defensively or vice versa. Or, hey, they're really good X's and O's tactician, but they're not good on a, uh, at recruiting. With Coach, he can do it all. I mean, he's good offensively. He's good defensively. He recruits. Like I said, he's relentless in his work ethic. Um, he's a spitting image of, of what I try to strive to be with my career as I move up. Um, I want to follow in his path and try to do it like him and, and, and mimic him as best as possible because he has been so successful. And then, you know, the third thing of that um, building on that is even though he's really, really good at all aspects of running a program and being a basketball coach, um, he still is evolving on a daily basis to get better. And I think as coaches, we all are in situations over the course of time where we put blinders on and we're not getting better um, just because whatever we're doing is working where it's obvious what he's been doing pretty much his whole career has worked and worked at a high level, but he still every day is, is challenging himself and us to get better and holding us to a high standard. So um, there's a lot of other things he's good at. I, I really I honestly can say there's not anything that he's not good at. Um, and, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Um, and, but those three things I think make him, you know, what he is and that's an elite basketball coach. Yeah, he's one of the elite basketball coaches in the country. Uh, had the fortunate slash unfortunate opportunity to coach against him. Uh, I've known him for a long time and uh, definitely always have been a big fan. He recruited our guys when I worked for Ross Hodge at, at, uh, in junior college. So uh, hats off to him. And uh, I would imagine that people in the league will be glad when he is uh, at another place so they can actually win some more conference games. But yeah. uh, shout out to Coach Jans on that. Tell, tell us about the staff, Coach. You guys obviously have um, just continued to win and be really dominant in your league. And it's not just about the head coach. It's not just about the associate head coach. It's not just about the players. But you guys, uh, just from knowing you guys, just a great, rare chemistry as a staff. How do you guys do that? Tell us about your staff. So before I talk about the, the, the current staff I'm on, I've been blessed because every school that I worked at, I haven't been on a bad staff. Um, and so that, that makes it so much easier everywhere we've been, um, family. And, and I mean, because we spend so much time together. Um, if you're on a bad staff or if you have a rotten egg, a rotten apple on the staff, I, I feel bad for you. But um, so with this staff, you know, you have a great balance of guys who can do everything because we've all been in junior college. We've all been at the lower levels um, and we really are selfless. Like we don't care who signs the players. 
Um, we don't care who gets the credit. Um, and I think like Coach Hodge uh, taught me a couple of years ago, I guess probably four or five years ago, we are uh, each other's biggest advocates. And so, um, you know, Dave Anwar, who's a vet in our profession, um, is honestly probably one of the best, if not the best guy I've ever worked with. He has a heart of gold. Um, he's really good at every aspect of, of coaching basketball and, and within the program. And he loves the kids, man. He loves, loves, loves the kids. Um, and then Corey Barker, who um, is elite at everything, um, he's so well connected in our profession. He's, he's as genuine guy as you're ever going to come across. And he's selfless as well um, and does such a great job with our guys. Um, and then we have a director of basketball in Casey Owens, who actually was an assistant with the Lakers um, at one point in time as a G League head coach. Um, I mean, he's a phenomenal X and O's guy. Um, and yet he brings a different perspective from that role um, that's been very helpful for us. Um, and, and, you know, again, G League head coach, been in the NBA, coach, coach Kobe Bryant as an assistant, was with the Lakers. I mean, was in that organization for eight to 10 years, I think it was, um, in some capacity. And he comes here and, and, and he has no ego. He doesn't care about credit. He doesn't try to um, pretend he's somebody he's not. Like, he just wants to coach ball and, and help us win and do whatever it takes. And, um, and then Sean McClurg, who's our video guy, um, who, you know, we call him Diddy. Uh, Diddy is a, a younger um, guy in our profession. And he's, he's elite, man. He's, he's, he's going to be really, really good. And you would think he's 35 with what he's able to do. And he's, he's I think he's 24 or 25. Like, we're always like, dang, how old are you again? Like, that's crazy. Um, he, he's really, really good. So I think we have a great staff and, and coaches. Uh, Coach Jans takes great pride in hiring people. Um, and, and, he, and he takes you know, great pride in doing it really well. And he's put together a staff where it's a bunch of guys that, again, like I said, don't care who gets credit, um, who will do whatever it takes to help our team win and help our guys be successful on and off the floor um, and, and who embrace, you know, what New Mexico State's about and what coach is about and, uh, and really want to maximize the resources we have to us and, and put our best foot, uh, foot uh, forward every single day. So um, it's, just, it's just great people. I mean, Burton, it's, it's great people, man. And, and um, we go to the lake together. We hang out together. Again, it all comes down to you spend so much time together in our profession. And uh, I can truly say I love all those guys in their own way. And, and, and we get along. We're friends. Um, and therefore creating, you know, a true family atmosphere. Yeah, and part of Jan's skill set and his strength that you said, like you talked about, there's so many different things. And just to give him another uh, credit, I think just identifying talent and, and staff and knowing how to let people do what they do well, um, hiring guys that fit in him as far as being hungry and uh, but also being selfless uh, and also just being about winning, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about winning. And I think the fact you guys all want to win. And of course, I know Anwar well and, and Corey is one of my close friends and um, got to know uh, your ops guy as well. So yeah, you guys have a big time staff, and credit to you guys on that too, man. So there's no, there's no secret to uh, when you win that you have that kind of chemistry. But credit to you guys for being able to keep building on it, because sometimes when you win, it can go another way, and you guys continue to build it. Um, so, so curious, break down a few things for us. What's something you love about these four categories at New Mexico State? Offensively, what's something you love that you do? Defensively, what's something you love? Uh, recruiting and also culture. You don't have to give us all the secrets because, you know, you got no, some I always ask Coach, can I share anything? <laughs> so you have to share. We, we, we ain't hiding anything. Give us a little bit of the secret sauce, just a little yeah. bit. 
Well, offensively, um, look, coaches gives our guys a lot of freedom. And I think that that's, uh, that's key, right? So our guys know what a good shot is and a bad shot is. They know don't turn the ball over. They know, you know, all the take good shot. I mean, they understand that. But at the end of the day, he gives them a lot of freedom offensively. He corrects them um, in practice, um, you know, on, on things that we want to do differently. But when it gets to the games, like, he's going to let those guys let it fly. He's, gonna, he's not going to um, get on them about maybe taking a quick shot. If it's open, it's a good shot. He's, he wants them to let it fly. Um, and, and we play unselfish from the offensive, offensive end. So that's the thing um, with freedom and, and being selfless uh, I, I like about us offensively. Defensively, I like the way that we scout, which I'll talk about obviously in a little bit um, and how we go about that. I think that's something I'll, I'll always take with me wherever I go. Um, but I, I love the way we scout um, and I love the, the, the attention to detail that we put uh, within the scouting in the preparation, even in the preseason going into the uh, season. So um, defensively, I think coach has a great plan and, and has a great um, idea of how he implements that plan. And I, and I love it. I really do. Um, from the culture standpoint, um, I really like how coach has got um, a bunch of guys to buy in on a consistent basis. And, you know, here we have a lot of transfers, whether it's junior college, grad transfers, uh, et cetera. He gets those guys to buy into winning um, and then how that ultimately is going to help them uh, achieve their goals. Um, so um, we, you know, uh, not this past year, but the year before when we were full strength and didn't have very many injuries, we had a rotation of 11 guys. We played 11 guys every single game. Now, obviously some games, um, certain guys are going to play more or less just depending on the matchups and, and who we were playing. But we had a rotation of 11 guys and some games where we played 12 or 13 guys, you know, and, and we're playing quality opponents. I don't think you can get uh, teams to do that anymore and guys to do that anymore if they don't truly love each other um, and are selfless and they, and they don't play for each other. So from the culture aspect, I, I really appreciate that about coach and what he's instilled here um, and what we have going on. And then from the recruiting aspect, um, I just think that the reason it's been really good for us is we, we get old, we stay old, um, we get guys with a, a chip on their shoulder, um, and we recruit to you know to New Mexico State. Um, you know this place has always done really well with transfers, um, and even guys maybe that had you know second chance or third chance even sometimes. Um, and coach is really good with those guys at, at uh, not holding grudges for what they've done in the past, and, um, and but still holding them accountable to a crazy high standard. Um, and, and that's what those guys want when it's all said and done. So um, those are kind of the four things that stick out to me in those categories. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, so t tell us this, man. I know you're super humble and you guys are humble and, and still working to continue to do championships. I hate that the COVID happened. You guys didn't get a chance to go back dancing. But uh, the question is, so, so for your league, you guys have really not lost very many games. So right. in league play – tournament play what do you think it is and even coach James the year before you got there um what do you think it is that's enabled uh, New Mexico State to be so dominant under coach James again without giving too much secret sauce but we know he holds them to a high standard we know you guys have had high level dues but uh what do you think it is so you know the foundation of of the program here is built on what a lot of people probably try to build it on and that's obviously defending um, being great on the glass on both ends, you know, rebounding and then having some toughness. 
Um, and so it's not one of those deals like if you go into our locker room or you walk around our facilities, we don't have a whole bunch of slogans. We don't have a whole bunch of quotes. That's not his deal. It's not what he wants it to be about. That's he wants us to function in that way and, and, and truly um, be our foundation for success. So um, everything we do in our program is along those lines and has those things in mind, um, everything. So, um, you know, again, with the culture and, and, and that aspect and then having those things in mind, um, you know, it, it's carried on that, okay, now we're getting players that we're probably not supposed to get, you know, high level players. Maybe they transfer or maybe something happened or the junior college guys that they've seen, Hey, look at the success those guys previous to them have had, um, you know, and I can go do that there too. And so, um, you know, I think, Building on that, um, just with Coach, he's so – like, I go back to relentless, man. He's relentless with everything he does um, because I know he doesn't want to fail and I know he doesn't want to let people down. And I know he wants our guys to believe that he's done everything he possibly can to prepare them and himself and our staff to be successful. So that's why I think, um, you know, the program has been so successful. And that's why it's going to continue to be successful as long as he's here. Uh, it doesn't matter who's working for him or who's – who's uh, shooting three balls for him or dunking for him. Like he's just so good at what he does um, and he does it the right way. Uh, I just don't see you know, it, 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 it deteriorating at all. No. Yeah. That makes sense. And he's so consistent at it too. Uh, you touched on something that I want to ask one last question basketball wise on um, before we kind of move to the next topic, but um, to have that high of a competitive environment, to have that great of a culture where the standard is high have that many good players, how do you think he's been able to have such depth to play 11 guys and have a rotation like that? Because it's not common in college basketball, and I've seen it up close, and it makes it hard to scout. It makes it hard to, to really know who to key in on, and it makes those guys to where, you know, they almost numbers, which great slogan, but not easy to actually make happen in real life. So how do you think that's been able to – be something as a stream weapon for you guys? Well, the first thing that always helps is winning because if somebody comes into the office and complains when you're 25 and five or you're undefeated in the whack or you just get done beating a Mississippi state or something along those lines, um, they just look like an idiot to be honest. And it's very, very simple to see how selfish they are. Um, and so I think when you win, you're able to do some things differently within your program and, and coach has been able to do that. Now, um, he's going to get any type of selfishness um, out of our program. He's not going to go for that um, from the standpoint of, you know, what's going to help us win and lose when it really comes down to it. Um, and so uh, for him, and it's a credit to our guys as well, they've again bought into winning and they see what happens when they win. And so, you know, for instance, a guy like Trevor and Queen, who, you know, didn't have a great, league uh, league year he came at the break it was you know it was a, a crazy time last year as his junior and then all of a sudden down the stretch he gets you know 25 in the championship game in the whack and then he goes and gets 15 against Auburn in the NCAA tournament not only are we winning but now he's producing on a, on a higher platform and now you know hey some mock drafts are saying he'll get drafted in the second round so um, I think our guys see that and they've seen other guys come through the program whether it was before coaches here with guys like Pascal Siakam or when it was when coach was here with guys like Jamea Jones and Zach Lofton. And so he said, Hey, this is a formula for success. And we all know when you win, it just validates how you're going about doing things. And so once that's happened, um, our guys will continue to drink that Kool-Aid, so to speak, and, and, and keep going down that road and not trying to deviate from what we've done to be successful. So. 
No, it's big time. Great answer, Coach. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, so now we'll shift gears to a little bit of a heavy topic, and you can kind of keep this brief for as long as you want. But uh, have seen the local media in your area and, and even your you guys' social media page uh, retweet and post about your team and the collectiveness that they continue to have even during this time with the social injustice and the racial inequality and all the kind of uproar that's going on. Uh, it seems like it's really powerful. Even Coach Jans, I believe, was out there protesting peacefully with the team, uh, with masks on to stay COVID-19, social distant. But uh, just curious, man, tell us a little bit about how your team has responded during this or what you guys have maybe done with your team or anything that you think has been a cool thing uh, during all this time. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, everybody has different opinions on the topic, right? And everybody has different feelings involved. Coach has done a really good job with our guys and letting them know how much he supports them and uh, how wrong he thinks some of the things that have happened, not only over the course of the last couple of months, but in our lifetime are that, that are going on. So, you know, we did get a chance to go peacefully uh, protest with our guys. Coach is big on um, action. He's not big on tweeting. He's not big on talking about it. He's big on action. Um, and I think our, our program is big on action. It goes back to we don't have – 50 quotes in the locker room. We don't, we don't have a whole bunch of slogans we're always talking about. It's just, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is who we are. This is, you know, who we are at our core and our foundation. Um, and so with Coach, um, you know, he said, I want to make sure our guys know that we're going to support them. Well, how do you do that? And how do we, how do we actually try to you know, instill change in our world and, and making sure it's a better place for our guys and probably more importantly, uh, the kids, their kids, you know? And so – you know, we did went out and peacefully protested, and, and that was coach's idea. Um, our guys really appreciated that, that uh, situation. They appreciate that about coach um, because he always is very clear with them that he's going to support them um, when they're doing the right things. And so I think moving forward for our program, as we get everybody back on campus and, and the talks that we've had is, okay, let's make sure that this uh, topic doesn't become stale. Let's make sure that once we see we stop seeing tweets about it, or or we start um, you know seeing it die off, so to speak, what can we continue to do to put things into action, and what can we continue to do to to really focus on real change? Um, and so you know we've we've brainstormed. We haven't come up with what that exactly is, but we've brainstormed as a team. Um, you know, and and I think for us and for coach, it's it's making sure that we follow through with this because. Um, Unfortunately, in our lifetime, we've seen a lot of things like uh, the last few weeks happen. Um, but this time feels different because it feels like there actually will be some change that come from it. And I think that's as a program and, and as, as, as Coach Jans being the head coach of our program and us as assistants, uh, we're going to continue to live by it. Um, we're going to continue to put it into action, um, you know, whatever that looks like moving forward with the with with and, and the biggest thing, supporting our guys as long as they're doing the right things. Because like I said to one of our guys the other day, hey, that's great that you have issues with what's going on right now. Okay, now what are you going to do to change it? Because just talking about it um, is not going to help. It's what, what are we going to do? Are we going to go protest again? Let's go. Are, are, are you going to go down and meet with the police department and, and tell them why you're scared when you're driving around town? Let's do it, you know? Um, and those things I think we're going to instill in our guys and coaches already started to do that. Um, to give them a platform to actually, you know, instill change in the world because that's really what needs to happen with this. 
Uh, absolutely. That's big time. Salute to you guys, how you're approaching it. I hope with more programs will follow what you guys are doing. Just support your guys, have real conversations, have support, um, but also, you know, look for real change and look for those solutions, which is big time. Um, so credit to you guys again for that, man. And thanks for sharing. Uh, just kind of going back, man, to your career, if you had to tell yourself, younger James Miller, a young guy at Colorado State or at Pueblo, what, what, what advice would you give him? Uh, obviously, whatever you've done to this point has been successful, so, um, but there's probably something along the way. You're like, you know what? I probably want to tell myself this. Yeah, I think as a young guy, I would have told myself, knowing what I know now, to be conscious in making um, meaningful relationships with and, and networking as you come up through the profession. You know, I think we're all taught, you know, told and taught to, to work hard, put your head down, don't ask questions, do what you're asked, be respectful, um, et cetera. And I think realistically, if I would have probably been a little bit better, especially the first four or five years of my career of being more intent in developing those personal relationships and doing it with a purpose, uh, then I think I would have been, I don't want to say further ahead now, but I think that that would have helped me um, in my growth uh, in our profession and just in our ability. So um, that would be the first thing I'd probably tell myself. Um, and then the second thing is, um, like you talked about earlier, Burton, is I, I'm a big advocate for junior college. If I had to do it all over again, I would have tried to go straight to junior college from my undergrad and when I graduated from Colorado State. Um, now, I wouldn't pay my experience working with Coach Everhart for anything because uh, he's a major reason why I am what I am and helping me establish my foundation as a coach. But for me, junior college is such a, um, you know, I, every young guy I talk to, they say, hey, coach, I want to break through in the profession. What should I do? I said, go to junior college. Go to junior college, coach, recruit, get your master's like Coach Larry told me. Um, go get you some high-level players. You're going you're gonna to be able to network with guys that are recruiting those players. You're going to be able to go get players from guys that you're going to be recruiting from for the rest of your career. Um, and so, you know, realistically, I worked at uh, CSU Pueblo for four years in probably six months at New Mexico Junior College when we were mediocre basketball team in the Wag Jack. I made more connections there in six months than I did in four years. So um, it's meaningful relationships to me. That's how I'm built. It's not just, you know, hey, write letters and, and, and fake my way through it. That's not that's not my deal. But at the same time, um, if I was more conscious and, and deliberate and, and someone would have said, hey, get your master's, coach, recruit, and this is why it would help you and being more deliberate with each move I made from a, a coaching standpoint, then, hey, who knows where I would be at this point. But, again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, and credit to you because I think you did a good job of that without even doing it intentionally, to be honest. I think majority of your closest friends and even our relationship we talked about before this uh, Zoom started was back when you were in Juco, you know, and just hanging out and, and having genuine relationships. I think because you're such a genuine person, you've been able to do that anyway, but you may have done it more intentionally had you go back and been able to tell yourself. So that's good. You talked a little bit about why you love junior college. So I'll ask a two-part question and then we'll move to one more question and get to basketball. But um, what is it that you love about junior college so much? I feel like you're one of the real uh, advocates of junior college and just have a different kind of love and passion and pride for junior college. I know it's what raised you in the business, but also, um, what do you think allowed you to be so successful as a head coach? Because, you know, like Coach Todd spoke about earlier, I mean, you were very Coach Jans-like 
or even Coach McCaslin, like whatever coach you want to choose that's really elite and successful at winning at a high level at a place that wasn't New Mexico State where it has all the support. So what do you think enabled you to have so such success? And then why do you love junior college so much? Well, I love junior college so much because to me, all of uh, a majority of the politics are out of basketball. It's, it's basketball in its purest form. Um, you know, it's guys that are doing everything they can to change their circumstances typically um, to provide for themselves and their families, you know, two, three, four, five years after the fact. So um, I really felt like junior college, why I loved it so much was I was changing kids' lives. I really believe, I really believe that. Um, and with all that being said, uh, probably was saving some lives <laughs> and, and, and then was helping them reach their goals, you know? And so, um, you know, guys that were literally, as one guy told me one time, like, coach, you just got me fresh off the couch. And then, you know, two years later, he's playing in the ACC. Uh, those things don't happen if he's not in junior college, you know? Uh, what's up, Ken? Pulling an Anwar, showing me the nostrils. So that's why I love junior college. I mean, I, re- I literally felt like um, on a daily basis, we were, we were saving lives, man. And I really felt like um, we instilled some values and some foundations in them um, to be successful, not only as basketball players, obviously as students, but then, you know, fathers and, and, and good husbands and, and those sorts of things. So that's why I love junior college. I mean, I, I, I would, I, I would have stayed if, if Hobbs, New Mexico wasn't Hobbs, New Mexico, which I loved Hobbs. If it was in uh, wherever else, somewhere in Florida, I probably never would have left junior college because I knew that I was making a difference. And then um, the reason we had success in my opinion was, um, a, like I touched on a little bit earlier, I had great people that I worked with, whether it was from the administration standpoint um, or assistant coach standpoint, um, you know, Brian Laurie and, and, and Sean Gutting, who's now the head coach at Casper Community College. Those guys um, were great. Um, and and then I, obviously we had really good players, you know, and three years as a head coach at 20 some guys go division one. So, you, you know, you're not, you're only going to be as good as your players. That's just reality. We all think we're great coaches and, we all think we're the, we're the next John Wooden, but the reality of it is you don't have players and, you know, you're not going to be that successful. So, um, you know, with that being said, I, I thought we did a great job when I was a head coach and when we had a program at New Mexico Junior College of holding guys accountable. Um, I thought we were pretty relentless in our work ethic. We, we worked hard. We played hard. We had a good time. Um, and then I thought as a head coach, uh, looking back on it, um, I never made my assistants or our assistants feel like, um, they were going to be berated for making mistakes. I knew that they were giving their all. And so when they made mistakes, um, I tried to empower them to continue to, to find the solutions as opposed to um, trying to berate them or belittle them or, or give them, um, you know, roundhouse side jabs when they weren't expecting it um, and holding grudges against them. And, and I attribute that a lot to, you know, working for Coach Tiff there and working for Pat Everhart. Those two guys helped mold me in that aspect because I was a young guy and they allowed me to make a lot of mistakes um, and I didn't feel like I was always having to look over my shoulder. Now, did they hold me accountable and make sure that uh, they let me know when I messed up? Yeah, they did. <laughs> they definitely did. Um, but with that being said, um, I think I took that as, as in, in the head coach, and I thought it was pretty successful for us. We'll do one more, Coach. Um you say is, is the why why you coach and what would you like for your legacy to be when you're done coaching and then we'll open up for questions from uh the rest of the so 
my why when I first got started was to, you know, hey, I wanted to be a division one assistant. <laughs> that was my why. Um, why did I want to do that? Because I knew I didn't want to do anything else but coach ball. And my why was, okay, how do I get back to Fort Collins, Colorado and be sitting over there on that sideline, whether it was next to Coach Lair or somebody else and, and getting to enjoy Moby Arena and, and, and the, great, the great city of Fort Collins, Colorado. That was my why when I started. And then as I went on and developed meaningful relationships with guys, um, it was to help, like I said, change their lives. Um, some guys need a little more help than others, and that's fine. Um, but obviously, we all know you need to have a degree in order to be successful. So that that turned into my why. And then I think now it's still along those lines. But now um, my why is my family to continue to support uh, them by doing what I love to do and, and something I don't really consider a job most days. Um, and, and, and then still being able to help young men reach their goals and their dreams while, uh, you know, hopefully giving them some knowledge to be better, like I said, fathers and husbands and um, you know, so on and so forth. So the why to me is, is, is the people I work with on a daily basis. I don't want to let those guys down. It's, it's the, the student athletes I work with on a daily basis. I want to do everything I can to help them. And, and then at the end of the day for my family is making sure uh, I do everything to, to, to give them and my girls and, and, and my wife the best life possible. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's awesome. It, it shows in how you do your business. It shows in uh, your success to this point. And like I said earlier on the call, um, I think more and more people are starting to take notice of a guy who super humble, super willing to give the shirt off his back to help somebody else, uh, but also really, really talented and really hardworking um, and skilled at what he does. So credit to you, man. Glad you came on. We'll open up for questions from the room. I know we got another former uh, coaching mate, Jareem Dowling, in the building. I'm sure he'll have something good for you, but uh, we'll open up and then we'll go straight to uh, Dream, you got something for me, man? You put, you took it on mute like you're about to just yeah. do something, man. I, I know I, had to, I got to take off my face mask. So I'm in the gym. I'm trying to get in shape like Miller, you know, so I got to wear a face mask. So it was kind of technical difficulties. But um, Dream Dowling, Conference USA champs, North Texas here. Uh, uh, Coach Miller, first off, I want to um, say happy anniversary to you and your wife. Uh, she deserves a medal for dealing with you every single day of the week. And uh, shout out to my nieces, Mia and Macy. Um, Coach Miller, why are you so passionate about what you do and the people you work with? Work with. I mean, I feel as though you're one of the Mount Rushmore loyalist guys I've ever worked with. Um, you're definitely on my Mount Rushmore. Why do you, you know, just be a good person even when nobody's looking? And and I've only known you four or five years now, but why do you take so much pride in doing that versus stepping on the next man to get to the top of the ladder? So um, I'll definitely tell the wife you said happy anniversary. And I think she's thankful for me. So let's leave it at that. Um, and I'll tell your nieces hello. But for me, um, I think in answering that question, I try. I always try to treat people um, like I would want to be treated. And so, therefore, um, you have to have uh, some empathy in how you interact with people and some understanding. Um, you know, the way I was raised um, in a diverse, very unique situation, I think, has led me to love everybody. Um, all shapes, 
color, size, and what, what everything in between um, the full end of the spectrum. That's just how I've always been because that's all I've ever known. Um, and I think I've carried that into coaching. Um, so I, I try to be understanding as, as much as I can be. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't, I don't enjoy talking about myself. Like I enjoy talking ball. I enjoy talking about, um, you know, like myself from a standpoint of, Hey, I'm going fishing and look at this big fish I caught, but I don't enjoy talking about myself from a standpoint of, um, you know, being conceited and or what quote unquote I have done. I don't, I don't enjoy that. So, um, like you coach Dowling and coach Hodge and other people on this call that I know, um, I like to celebrate the success of the people around me, um, and the people I work with. Um, and the guys that I've coached, uh, to me, that's more important than what I have done. Um, and I just, I just, that's just how I've always been. And I think that's how I always be, to be honest. Great question, Coach Reen. Appreciate you jumping on and, uh, and overcoming your difficult. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, Coach Bird, for what you're doing for everybody in coaching basketball. Appreciate you, homie. Appreciate you. It's, it's our it's our, uh, uh, it's our anniversary, too, but I won't tell my wife you said so. It's cool. <laughs> my fault, my fault. Happy anniversary to you, too, your beautiful wife, man. And my niece is over there, too, man. Uh, happy anniversary. Uh, you two need to hurry up and end this call and take your wives out somewhere. It's coming soon, man. It's not even. It's not quite time. It's got to get dark outside so it can be romantic. You know, I got that from James. He said that before you got on the call. <laughs> uh, we'll take a couple more questions before we have uh, coach. We watch coach present some basketball stuff. Coach Miller, uh, Derek Brooks, uh, Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, you mentioned being a sophomore at Colorado State and, and texting one of the assistants to ask him to meet you and to answer questions on how you could get to, you know, where he was uh, in 15 years. So my question is, um, how, have, how have the mentors uh, during your career helped you progress and, and get to where you are now? And then the second part is, do you mentor young coaches yourself? Hey, Derek. Um, so the, the mentors for me, uh, obviously, have a major, major, major hand in why I'm where I'm at right now. Um, I think that, uh, you know, like, like Ross Hodge on the call, you know, he, he single-handedly taught me what it's like to be an associate head coach. Um, and, and I consider him not only, uh, he's not old enough to be a mentor, but more of a peer and a really good friend and someone that I really respect because he does such a good job. But the guys that I first worked for, Pat Everhart, Chris Tiff, um, those guys, man, they gave me the foundation. They taught me uh, what was right in our profession, what was wrong, and how to go about things both right and wrong way. Um, and th that led me to the next portion of kind of my career, I think, thus far. And that's where I got to meet guys like Coach Hodge, um, guys like Steve Lutz from Purdue, or Luca Dino, who you know had a really big hand in helping me get this job. Um, and so what I've learned is, um, you know, and, and I talked a little bit about it earlier. And, and something I wish I would have known or someone just would have told me because I'm, I'm pretty good at following directions when it makes sense is I really would have been more um, diligent in developing meaningful relationships. And, and, and it would still be organically, but I would put myself out there more. That's not really my style. Again, I don't like talking about myself. I don't, I'm not going to go up and just chat, chat up somebody I don't know. It's not what I do. Um, and so 
my 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 network, my guys that are mentors, um, they gave me the foundation. Now, what I would say is my network, who is more of my peers now, um, even though those guys are still mentors to me, my peers are now the ones that are continuing to you know shape and mold me in certain ways. Um, and so those guys have done a really good job. What was the second part of the question? Because I got the rambling and I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, do, do you mentor young coaches? Oh, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So sorry about that. Um, I do everything I can to try to help young guys because we all have been in those shoes. And I was a Division II assistant, so I couldn't do anything for anybody. So we all know what that's like when you're in a place where you can't help others. Then they just go out of the – they don't go out of the way to help you. Um, I'll never forget, like, I think it was probably the first year I was coaching and Sean Vandiver, who's, who's at Wyoming, he had a conversation with me, like, and acted like I mattered. He probably doesn't think anything of that. Um, nothing came from that conversation, but I was like, damn, there's a division one guy talking to me. I'm just a division two volunteer assistant coach. Like, I, you know, um, so I still remember those things. So, um, I've tried to do everything I can with young guys that, that I know that want to be college basketball coaches to give them as much advice whether they use it or not, that's on them um, to help them become successful. And so uh, I, I take, honestly, I, that's probably one thing I take great pride in is in, in Coach Burton asked about, okay, what's a why? Like, I like helping people. Not only do I like helping our players, but I like helping people, um, you know, reach their dreams. And so I think I've done a pretty good job of that. I'm going to continue to try to do a good job of, of mentoring young people. Um, and, and like I, I should have said at the beginning of this call, like I, I want to talk ball with people that I don't know. I want to develop relationships with people I don't know. That's important to me. Um, and I'm, I try to be as accessible to everybody uh, when I do Zooms or conferences or whatever as I can be because at the end of the day, you never know. I might say to somebody, hey, you should try this. And that might change their, the course of their career because honestly, that's what happened to me. If I didn't go to junior college, who knows where I'd be. I'd probably still be in Division Two, to be honest with you. And, and there'd be nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't what the trajectory I wanted my career to be on, so. Good question, Coach Brooks, appreciate it. Coach Miller, another great answer. We'll take uh, one or two more, then we'll get to hoops. What's up, Coach? What's up, Dre? Uh, that much, that much. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, man, uh, just kind of your transition from being head coach junior college to uh, to Division One assistant. Uh, almost some advice in a way, just kind of things that, that helped you um, and some maybe the struggles and stuff you went through trying to, you know, trying to be better at that as a D1 assistant. Right, so listen. And for those, and for those, for those that don't know, Coach Jones was a really good coach, head coach at Western Texas Junior College in the Whack Jack League. Now he's an assistant at Sam Houston State doing really great things uh, and did, did really great things at Western Texas too. So go ahead, Coach. So when I left uh, New Mexico Junior College, I was – 32, yeah, 32 years old. And um, Coach Hodge will tell you because I had conversations with him. When I went to Omaha, I really struggled going from being a head coach to, to back to a, an assistant because the way I tried to do things um, at New Mexico as a head coach didn't necessarily mean it was right or wrong, but the way I tried to do things was like just all in, like I'm going crazy. Like I still thought I was going to be the head coach at Duke when I left New Mexico Junior College. Like that's reality. Um, and so – I was trying to attack every single day like that uh, when I got to Omaha and that wasn't reality. Right. And so you go back from calling your own shots, calling your own timeouts, doing your own drill work, uh, things like that. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, an issue as far as 
like my um I wouldn't say it was like oh, I'm better than this or it, it wasn't an ego thing. It was just so more very difficult when I thought we could be better at things that that I thought we should be better at, right? And so um working for coach Hanson at Omaha was great because I think he allowed me to make some of those idiotic mistakes, young dumb mistakes and I, and I, again I have good self-awareness typically when I know I'm making those mistakes. Uh, and he allowed me to make those uh, under his watch. And, and I think that helped, you know, make me a better coach in the long run, maybe not at the time, um, you know, but it really did. But it was hard for me. It really was that first year going from being head coach in junior college, going to uh, Omaha, where I loved it. We had good success. We won. We went to the CBI. Um, it was a, it was a program that just got to Division One. Um, we had a lot of success that year. But at the same time, if you if you would have asked me at the time and even today, like I thought we should go to the NCAA tournament with that team, um, and, you know, and I, that's just how I'm wired. I, like let's maximize everything we got. And so I think Coach Hanson, like I said, did a really good job of letting me make some young dumb mistakes. Um, and he's so even killed and so mild mannered uh, anyway. So it was like a perfect match. I'm the young dumb guy thinking I know everything, and he's just laid back. And you know, he let me do those, um, you know, make those mistakes. And, and again, I think he did a great job of. Um, you know, giving me uh, a voice and allowing me to do some things um, when he didn't have to. And, 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 I, and I appreciate him for that. But to answer your question, Dre, it was hard. It was really, really hard. Now, moving forward, um, as I've continued to probably mature, just to be honest with you, and, and, to, and not only mature as a basketball coach, but just as a person and not be so emotional about winning and losing and, and those things, um, I think it's, it, it's, it's shown its head as I move forward, because now I look back at Omaha and if I just would have approached some of those things um, differently, I probably would have been much more successful and been able to help whoever my head coach was at the time. And I think, um, you know, Ross told me uh, when we worked, maybe it was at Arkansas State at the time, and he could tell I was probably getting frustrated on some things. And, you know, he would tell me, like, don't don't ride the wave. Don't ride the emotional roller coasters of a season. Don't ride the emotional roller coasters of a practice um, you know, but when you're head coach, you're used to doing that because it's your program. And so um, I think that's always stuck with me. And I've gotten much better at that as I move forward to not allow uh, my emotion um, from the standpoint of, of jumping on the roller coaster and, oh, shoot, now we're up. Oh, no, we just lost. Now it's the end of the world. Oh, OK, now we just won. Now we're, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. I, I'm usually pretty even keeled um, by nature. So I think that that's helped uh, as well as, as I moved on to. I guess I'll, I'll ask one. How you doing, James? What's up, Adam? How are you, man? Chilling, man. Chilling. Just yeah, I like got it. A little one here. I got, like got, it. Yeah, you know, life life's happening. But uh, no, my deal is just just thinking ahead. And obviously, when you become a head coach, how would you? What was your? What's your thoughts on building a program? You think the transfer route, having experienced it there, or you going building it? You going JUCO route? You got JUCO experience? You going high school kids transfer portal? You know, you, you your first. How are, how are you, what, just your mind, just how are you going to build a program? What do you think, you know what I mean? Like, how are you going to construct it? Where are you going first? Where are you going second? And how, how, are you, how would you kind of do that based on your experiences? So two-part answer, Adam. The first part is depends on where the job is and what the dynamics of the job are. Okay, obviously, I'll probably never be the head coach at a Harvard or a Stanford because that's not my background, right? But you have to understand where you are, too, at the same time. Um, if I got the job at... Uh, whatever school that's a private institution and they're not going to take a lot of transfers. Okay. It's going to be a little bit different look from the standpoint of we're not going to go in there and be able to take five junior college guys. But the reality of it is for everybody on this call moving forward is 
gone are the days of building programs. It's not going to happen anymore. Now you can have, you can build cultures and, and instill cultures, but as far as if you're at the mid and low major level moving forward, you're not going to have guys in your program for three or four years, unless they're transfers that tra- that transferred your place as a freshman or a sophomore. And so with me, um, whenever, uh, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it happens one day where I'm a head coach, it's going to be the transfer route. I feel like that's been my whole career and it's going to work pretty well for us moving forward because come next January, when they pass that rule and it's going to pass, no matter what people say, you're going to have to build your programs with a junior college mentality of a year to year, um, you know, structure. And that doesn't mean that you can't go get transfers that you're going to have in your program for two or three years. But the reality of it is if you take high school guys and you're at UTSA, as you know, and you got a guy that's averaging 20 a game and every high major in the country is trying to get them out of there. And guess what? From here on out, they're not going to have to sit out anymore. And so uh, the reality of it is for, for I think, the majority of the people on this call and a majority of the programs in the country, we're all going to have to function year to year. That's just reality. Um, and so the transfer route to me, um, even at the high major level, is going to be much more prevalent because it, it's going to be a year to year deal as opposed to, oh, three years from now, we're going to be really good because at the end of the day, uh, the way the transfer is right now, imagine what it's going to be like when there's no stipulation on having to sit out. Yeah, no, I definitely, I agree with you. And obviously your experience being a JUCO coach will help because I don't know what it's like having to recruit eight guys in a year. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. Eight guys, that's nothing. That's easy for us. Man. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's craziness, man. Yeah, it is. Hey, Miller time. Um, just to kind of segue off Adam's question, because I know you and I have talked about it like off camera quite a bit, and you've had the opportunity to be part of these uh, seminars and, uh, you know, educational opportunities as far as, you know, the next step. Um, maybe share anything or just a couple things that that you or myself probably weren't thinking about three years ago you know, that maybe some of these guys can go ahead and start thinking about now, you know, as it pertains to not even the division one jump, but then the assistant jump, but then the, the next part, like the, the head coaching piece, you know, I know you and I've talked about that a lot because a lot of times the basketball part is the last is the easiest part. The next part is all the other things. So uh, not to put you on spot, but even if it's just one or two things that you've taken away from those things, I think are good. So I've been fortunate to to go to, I guess, one virtually, and then I went to two separate um, conferences last year. And, you know, they're both, both were centered on, you know, all three have been, have been centered on, you know, becoming a head coach in Division One. So, um, you know, what Coach Hodge just asked, we talk about a lot. Um, and I try to give two or three things that I think maybe we all don't think about um, because we're so ingrained and just trying to do a good job where we're at. But um, the first thing that I wish somebody would have told me a couple of years ago and that that's becoming more and more um, you know, obvious to me that's important is um, reaching out to uh, search firm guys in, in developing, you know, again, genuine relationships with them. It goes back to what I said, someone I wish would have told me uh, three years ago, like Kosha said, and even back to when. I was getting started. I mean, you need to, um, if you if you really have um, goals and aspirations of being a head coach, especially in Division One, but even in Division Twos, because they're getting involved in searches now, is you need to have some relationships and familiarity uh, with those guys in the search firms 
because they're going to, they're a major player and they're not, they're not going to go anywhere. And that's something I don't think about uh, very often in, in, in my daily life. Um, so that would be one thing. Um, the second thing is, um, you know, obvious, just make sure you do a good job where you're at, but be calculated with the moves that you're going to make um, to, you know, other institutions. Uh, you know, when, when I was leaving North Texas, a lot of people said to me, why would you leave North Texas to go to New Mexico State? But I also knew what was going to come with that was a different role. I was going to be the Ross Hodge of our staff at some point in time. And so I knew that that would help, you know, put me in a position where um, I have people that will vouch for me at New Mexico State that will say, um, our AD will call another AD and say, hey, James Miller's ready to be a head coach at your place. And so if, if you don't have um, that role of where you currently are, I, I, would, I would say, um, you know, the second thing would be is to look for that role if, if you feel like that's what you want to do and trying to be a coach, um, you know, three, uh, I would say is, um, you know, probably again, networking with people that can help you get to those spots. You know, I, I, there's, they always talk about having agents and, and people that try to help you um, maneuver in these, um, in these situations where you're trying to get a head job. Um, but someone made a great comment uh, last week in, in, in the top connect deal I was in and they said, hey, your biggest advocates are going to be, uh, like like Coach asked earlier, your mentors are going to be people that call for you when you don't even know they're calling. It's going to be your head coach that's going to go out on a limb. That's one thing I appreciate about Coach Jans is he, he wants to help us move. He wants us, um, you know, to move upward. And he doesn't try to hold us back. And I know that's not always the case for everybody. But try to surround yourself with, with advocates for you, whether on your staff or your mentors or your head coach or your administrators, um, you know, that, that will help you become a head coach. And then to piggyback off that as well, um, sometimes I think as assistants, we get a little nervous um, and we try to not step on any toes. Um, but what you need to do is you need to make sure you're networking and building genuine relationships where you are. Even if um, Adam might not be the next head coach at UTSA, hey, his AD there might eventually be the AD somewhere where that, you know, he wants the job. And so um, I think networking and building relationships with those people um, and again, making sure it's organic and natural and not forced, but you, you truly build relationships with those people. Again, who knows where we're all going to be five to 10 years from now, but if you just do your job, which I, I'm guilty of a lot of times, and I don't even think about that kind of stuff. Well, then when they're looking for a next head basketball coach in New Mexico state, or they're looking for, um, you know, someone's name that they can put out there, when someone calls you know, the AD at UTSA or North Texas, if you're not um, very uh, deliberate in how you build those relationships with the people where you are, then how are they going to be able to put their neck on the line for you and, and be able to sell you, even if it's unbeknownst to you? And so those are three things that I, I think stick out to me. Um, you know, from the basketball standpoint, I've been a head coach. So like the basketball stuff is always common sense to me when they start talking hoop. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, when you start thinking about other things that maybe we don't think about, those are kind of three that stick out to me. Coach, how much of that are you putting on your boards uh, in, in the locker room for the guys to see? Yeah, great question. So um, we're going to put a majority of it, if not all of it, Zane, but we're going to highlight. Okay. So we're going to highlight what they typically run the most or talk about. So how we do um, pregame is, and again, I've never been part of anything like it, um, is at 42, 43, whatever time we come up and do the first kind of talk, the assistants do that talk. And so it's a preparation for 
um, our game plan. So, for instance, all those sets you just saw were on the board at, in Jackson when we were playing Mississippi State. But the ones that myself and Coach Jans knew that they were going to run a majority of the time or that were really big scoring plays for them, I was going to talk specifically about those. Or if we had a hard time guarding specific actions or specific sets in practice, that was what I was going to hit on in my offensive talk from the standpoint of these are the sets they run. Okay, defensively, if we knew that they were going to spring a 2-2-1 after made free throws, and obviously I'm going to talk about that when I'm talking about defense. But it all uh, will be on the board, which obviously can be very, very wordy. But what I found is, and what, and what coaches, you know, like Grand Canyon, um, at the previous regime, they ran so many sets because he was an NBA guy. And so, like, literally, like, I couldn't fit all the sets on the whiteboard as we're getting ready to play them in the WAC championship. But when you put them in within a series and you group them up, and then it's just, hey, these are the floppy sets, and here are the 14 actions they'll run. But I'm going to talk about the two or three things that are the most prevalent or that gave us problems in the previous game. Then I find that the guys retain it pretty good, and it's worked really well for us. Good questions, Zane. Hey, Coach Miller, Ken Moses. Um, you guys use sports code or you guys use synergy or you guys use both when you uh, edit everything out? Sports code, um, pretty much always sports code. Now, that's not to say, um, for example, if we're playing whoever, we're playing Grand Canyon and we, we're having a debate in the office if, um, Javon Blackshirt or point guard is better going right or left. That's not to say that Coach Jans might not say to somebody, hey, go over there and watch, you know, all Blackshirt's plays off ball screens and see which way he's better going and use synergy to do that, right? But when it comes to making clip tapes and it comes to putting together our scout, 99.9% uh, .9 of it is going to be on sports code. I got one for you, Coach. So for yourself, uh, let's say you, you talked about Grand Canyon with your scouts. So let's say you're playing Grand Canyon the first time during the season, not in the tournament where you haven't played them already. Uh, first question is, how much preparation do you do to prepare for them? Do you watch so many games? Do you watch – do you break down on your staff or somebody's coaching offense, somebody's coaching defense? So you everybody's a part of the scout question. Second question is, what adjustments do you make the second time you play them if you play them? So from a preparation standpoint, if it's your scout, it's your scout. You and Coach Jans are going to be doing the majority of the grunt work. Now, um, my position is a little unique because every game I'm responsible for every matchup. So I don't feel like there's many games where I don't know what's going on because obviously I'm matching everybody up at any given time. So I can't. If, if we're playing Arizona, it's not my scout. I can't not know what Arizona is going to do or who their guys are. Right. Um, but with that being said, um, when it's Corey scout against um, UTEP, then it's Corey scout. He and coach are going to do a majority of the legwork. And then obviously I'm going to have to do my own uh, research, whether it's with synergy or sports code to figure out who's who and what's what um, from the defensive standpoint. Now that's not to say that we might not all come in the office and coach Jans might say, Hey, I, I think I want to guard it like this. Does anybody have, um, you know, any objections to it or anybody seeing, you know, does anybody see any problems with it? And that, that happens from time to time. But, um, you know, for, for instance, with Grand Canyon, 
depending on how much time you have to prepare for them, obviously, um, if it's the first game or the second game on the back end of the, of the road swing or it's a home swing or what have you, um, you know, for me personally, I'm slow in retaining information. It takes me a long time to clip up, but once I watch two or three full games, then I have a pretty good grasp on where it's at. And then, you know, if you look at my organizer, which is, you know, how you put stuff in sports code, obviously, um, my organizer has, you know, uh, by the end of the year, when we play Grand Canyon, 12, 14, 14, 15, every conference game down here is clipped up and in there. And I try not to delete anything because I can always just go back and click a section and say, okay, here's them playing on ball screens. Here's last year. And I have, you know, 85 clips of them that I've just clipped out in passing. Um, now, as the year progresses and you know people and maybe they play an opponent that plays all zone and we don't play very much zone, then sure, let's hop on synergy and, and we, or we can fast forward through some stuff, still see if there's anything different see if there's any tendencies that have changed. But at the same time, you just you kind of know people by the time the second go around. So then the second part of your question is, we obviously make adjustments the second time. Um, Grand Canyon really hurt us by splitting ball screens the first game. So we were really cognizant of that. They like to refuse ball screens the first game. So we really made sure they used them, um, you know, in, in the second game. Um, one way that we really adjusted to how we played is people really hurt us on setting a high ball screen in the middle third and picking and popping because they were dragging our bigs out. So we just started like literally hard hedging everything in the middle of the floor. And that, that really worked well for us. So we're definitely tweaking. And like I said, with coach earlier, he's always evolving. He's always trying to get better. He's not uh, a guy that's in his lanes and we're only going to do it this way. That's not him. And I think that's what makes him so special and the lead at what he does is he's open to new things and, and he learns from uh, it and us just like we learn from him. Um, so we definitely make a lot of adjustments um, from game to game standpoint. Coach Miller, two-part question. Um, yeah. When you guys are in game situations, where are the coaches positioned on the bench as far as where the scout coach is? Um, and then my second part is uh, during the timeouts, um, is it an open forum when you when you guys huddle up as coaches an open forum or does the scout coach get the first, you know, crack it at, at uh, suggestions and things like that? Yeah, so as far as a bench is concerned, I'm always in the seat that's like for, uh, closest to the opponent. That's just, I don't know why, but that's just where I, I think for matchup purposes, right? Because you're standing up, you're matching guys up, media timeouts, even, uh, you know, quick subs, boom, boom, boom. I'm yelling, I'm standing up. So it's just, I think it's easier from that standpoint to match it up. Now, I know in my experience, it's also easier when it's your scout to be at that spot because then you can hear the calls a little bit better. So what I'm trying to do when I'm in that seat personally is if it's not my scout and I don't know the calls off the top of my head very well for that particular uh, opponent, I'm yelling at CB or, or Anwar, yo, they just called XYZ. It's, it's you know, and then they have a little sheet typically that says, okay, they just called power. Oh, that's that's lightning. That's dribble handle. You know, so that would be the way we go about it. But it, it's myself um, on the first seat. It's uh, Coach McClurg, who's our video guy, who's really he's really good at retaining and knowing what's coming because he helps everybody with their scout and seeing a lot of video. So he sees it pretty, pretty well. And then he can alert one of the assistants. It's Coach Jan's seat, which he doesn't sit down, but about the first minute of the game. So then typically that'll be whoever just came out of the game from you to talk to him. It's whoever scout uh, is next to him, next to that empty seat, typically, or whoever's, you know, just came out of the game. And then we'll have one or two players and then it'll be one of the other assistants kind of in the middle that can continue to kind of help, I don't want to say monitor, but continue to help coach on the bench um, and, and, and stay in the guy's ears about the right things and not the wrong things and not letting it be a pity party down there in the middle of the bench or the end of the bench. 
Um, and I think um, that's been really, really effective for us. Yeah, I think it works really well. Um, so that's the first part of the question. Um, and then the, the second part, what was it again? I, that's how I ended, sorry. <laughs> that was all good. Um, during timeouts. Um, okay, got it, you know, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, so during timeouts, um, coach is definitely good with everybody making suggestions. As you know and I know, when it's in the heat of battle and we're trying to figure out what's what, and he has seven or eight people or seven or eight different opinions coming into him, then there has been a time or two where he probably uh, barks back at us a little bit. So what typically has happened, and it's just kind of evolved this way, um, you know, just naturally, is if there's something that's really, really important, guys will usually come to me and say, hey, let coach know this. And then, you know, but I'm responsible for matchups, right? So in, in media timeouts, I'm looking at who's coming in the game, who we got on there, da, da, da. I'll make a suggestion on my own, whatever. But if it's something that's really important, then I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll tell coach. If it's something where I'm like tired of telling coach everything, I just tell whoever it is, you tell them. You know what I mean? Like I'm putting it on you. Because sometimes you know what's coming when as soon as you make a suggestion. So I'm like, oh, all right, CB, your scout, you tell them then. And they'll look at me like, I'll be like, yeah, it's on you this time, dude. You know, so, um, but it, it's it's naturally happened that way. But it's not because coaches said, hey, I only want Miller to make suggestions. Um, it's, it's really just happened naturally that way. All right, we'll take maybe uh, two more questions and then we'll let it, we'll wrap things up with some final thoughts from Coach and then uh, thank everybody for coming. Hey, Coach, I know you talked about um, how you guys keep the terms the same all year long, which I love. Are you guys going over those early in the year just as they come game to game? How are, how are you guys giving them the vocabulary to, to maintain it throughout the year? Yeah, so as the year progresses, it's almost just like a, a terminology dictionary that just progresses with the year. A lot of the terminology are things we run as our sets. So if we run um, uh, a set called Jacksonville, and there'll be a number on it before, and Jacksonville is a cross screen, right? Well, when we play you guys on November 10th and, and, you, and, and we're preparing for you, then we're going to say, hey, they run a Jacksonville screen. Hey, da 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 So – they run Jacksonville out of the floppy. They run whatever it might be. So I just think as over the course of time and you start seeing the same actions and then they just start to retain it. And obviously we're going to go over um, the video two times minimum, usually three, four or five times before we play somebody. Um, and then we're going to go over the paper scout two times minimum, even if it's one day prep, um, you know, again, probably three or four times. Um, and then over the course of time, and we keep giving the same information. And you saw the paper, Scott. It's, I mean, it's not, it's detailed, but it's only two pages. It's front and back, and that's it. We don't give them play diagrams. We don't, you know, we don't talk about hey, we don't diagram this blob. We don't, we don't do all that. It's it's the scout, it's the video, and then what we show them on the floor. And then over the course of time, shoot, if you don't know what Jacksonville is in our offense, that means you don't even know our own set, so you ain't gonna play. And if, I assume you're gonna know what Jacksonville is because we run a play called Jacksonville, and hopefully. You'll pick it up when someone starts, someone on our bench starts yelling, hey, it's Jacksonville. Then, then we, again, they might not know where the cross screen is coming from, but someone's going to get their, you know, their block knocked off. And so they know they're already got their head on the swivel looking for a cross screen. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. <clears throat> Miller, how do you guys do everything with blobs and uh, out-of-bounds stuff? 
So same thing. We come up with terminology for certain actions within the blobs. Um, we cover the blobs typically the, the day of the game in shoot around at the end of shoot around. If it's a team that scores on their, on their blobs, then we'll cover it the day before at the end of practice as well. Same thing with slobs. Um, you know, slobs typically have an action that we already going to have a name for. Right. So, um, we'll show them how it starts. And then basically it'll be like, uh, like Tennessee for us is usually a shuffle stagger. So a lot of people run uh, Tennessee action or shuffle stagger from a slob. Right. And so when I say, Hey guys, they like to run Tennessee, we walk them through it. Boom. They know. Okay. Boom. Tennessee easy. And obviously as an assistant, if you're Johnny on the spot and you know your shit, then when, when you start, you know, yelling Tennessee, Tennessee, cause you know what they're calling or you see the, you see the setup or the alignment of it. And the guys are going to know when I start yelling Tennessee, they're not going to think I'm, you know, talking about the state. They're going to know I'm talking about the action. And so, again, we found it to be pretty, pretty good for us. Any gangle? Sorry, repeat that. Any game goals that you guys try to achieve every game? Yeah, so um, at halftime, we have – I wouldn't even say it's like a, it's typically not a specific number. Um, but at halftime, we kind of have like five or six things that we'll compare and contrast us versus whoever we're playing. Um, on that is going to be paint touches. So how many times we got in the paint, how many times they got in the paint, whether it's a drive, uh, a feed, whatever, however we got in the paint, uh, paint touches, um, charges taken for both teams, um, uh, deflections, um, Offense and offense and uh, offensive rebounds because obviously offensive rebounds big for us. How many they have? How many we have? Um, and I think field goal percentage is the other one. But it's typically things that we think are going to be you know not necessarily hustle stats, but a lot of times it ends up being hustle stats. And it kind of shows typically how you know focused we are on playing hard and, and having the aggressiveness we want to play with from game to game. Red coach got a question for you. You had the opportunity to be a JUCO head coach, and mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, going into that, what is something that uh, kind of caught you by surprise or something that you weren't expecting? And then as you went through the year, what's something that you, you know, will stick with that you thought you did really well? And then after your first year, what's something that, you know, didn't really go well that you would change if you got the opportunity to be a head coach again? So, um, tell him. Real quick, uh, Coach, where you are and, and what your position is in your mind. You're on mute, Coach. My bad. This is uh, Coach Robert Ford. I'm the head men's basketball coach at Salem University, uh, D2 in West Virginia. Awesome. So, Coach, um, for me it was a little unique because I recruited a majority of the guys that, that were there with me the first year, which, you know, Typically, we're not all going to be in that situation when we get a head job. So it was a little unique, to say the least. Um, the hardest part of the first year for me, going from uh, assistant to head coach, was I was so close with most of those guys. Not everybody, but most of them. And I had gone from being big brother, uh, positive guy, pat them on the butt guy, to now I'm the guy that's MFing them and getting in their face. And, like, and, and, and so there was a little bit of a challenge with that. But... With that being said, like, I probably would never be closer to any team I coached that first year 
because those were all my guys. And I don't mean it like I signed everybody. I mean, those were my guys. Those were like my, my, like my little brother. I wasn't old enough to be their father at the time, but the, I mean, I was really, really close with the majority of those guys. So all of a sudden the guy who was, you know, driving them to Wendy's or driving them to Walmart or talking to their mom every day or making sure they were doing this and doing that is a guy that's, you know, getting on their stuff about not playing good defense and sitting them on the bench. And, and so that was probably the biggest challenge. I was prepared for everything. Um, luckily, uh, because I had been, you know, like I said earlier, the foundation I had from the people I worked for before where they allowed me to make those mistakes, I was prepared. We were, we were good. Now, would I do a better job with that first year now than I did then? Of course, because just naturally over the course of time, we get better. Um, and so that, that for sure would be done. But um, after the first year, I think what was really glowing to me and, and it was, it was proven because the first year I was a like, coach, we went to Hutch, we were 27 and seven. We had, um, seven guys or eight guys signed division one, ACC, NC state, uh, Texas tech, I had a kid signed here. I mean, really good team, um, and really good kids for the most part. But what was really evident to me and that it really, uh, um, cemented what we were doing was I got to make sure that I recruited guys that were tailor-made for me. I didn't always do that as a good job as an assistant. Coach Tiff would tell you that because I would bring in there some renegades that I had a soft spot for, but they weren't really <laughs> what he wanted to coach. But at the same time, we were at New Mexico Junior College at the time that hadn't been any good for 15 years. And so I knew, okay, we're going to play Coach Hodge, who had like 10 high major or 10 Division One guys, four or five guys going to go high major. You know, these guys are pros over there at Midland. And it was like bringing knives to a gunfight the first year we were there. So over the course of time, I knew that, you know, I needed to get guys as a head coach that I could coach. And the guys that, you know, resonated with me were guys that as long as they were like, had good hearts, I was good with them. But usually it was a second chance guy or whatever. As long as they weren't the guys that were going to be lying to me or taking $20 out of my wallet when they're sitting over there, I could coach those guys. I could coach anybody when, when it comes to if they have a good heart. I really can. Um, so I knew that going forward, um, that that was what we needed to do. And we had just second year and not as quite as much the third year I was there. And to be honest with you, the third year was our most talented team, but we had too many guys that weren't tailor-made for who I was as a coach at the time and what I needed to, 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 to have to be successful. So um, did I miss any part of that question? Because I'm like short, I was short-term memory stuff. No, that, that was good, yeah. Coach. Appreciate it. Sure. I got something for you, Coach, and we'll, we'll end with this one, man, unless somebody else has another one. But uh, we've talked about this before. And I think it's something that was a strength of yours when you were a junior college head coach, and you kind of touched on it. But just talk about the importance and when you're a head coach, just shooting people straight and, and, and your philosophy and just kind of calling people out and creating that culture of just uh, honesty, even when it's something silly that somebody did, just calling it out in front of teammates so the guys understand, like, this is how we do it here. It's not like we're going to have this closed-door meeting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get on this guy about this. It's like everybody's gonna have an an idea where everybody stands and everybody's gonna be treated fairly in front of everyone else. T tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, as a head coach, I didn't have closed door meetings with players, especially in regards to playing time. Now, if there was a family situation or there was something personal in their life. That was different. For sure, we have closed-door meetings. But when it came to talking hoop and guys wanting to know something about their role or they were pissed off about this or upset about that, we had meetings as a team, whether it was in the locker room 
at the end of practice um, or, or it was in a classroom after video. Everything I told our guys from a basketball standpoint was within our team setting. Okay, so if you ever do that, just understand there's going to be some situations where you're going to have a battle on your hands with somebody in front of everybody else, which that didn't bother me at all and it still wouldn't bother me. But why I thought that was really important was as an assistant, you always have guys coming back to you and saying, well, coach ain't playing me for this or I did this. And, you know, no, like it's, it's very, very clear where everybody stands in this situation. You know, hey, you want to play more, but you can't play more. Come here, girl. Wave, wave. So you got to be quiet, though. So we would always have these open conversations, and guys didn't like it. But what I found was um, the perfect example would be Jeff Newberry. Okay, Jeff Newberry played for me my second year as a head coach. He, he had committed to Oklahoma State at the time, and, and I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't have anything to do with his recruiting because he had transferred to us. Well, Jeff Newberry has already committed to Oklahoma State. He wants to go take an official visit after he had already taken an unofficial visit on the day of a scrimmage. And so I said, okay, Jeff, you know, and this is in front of everybody. We scrimmage on Saturday. This is Thursday. He's getting ready to leave the next morning. And I said, I said to Jeff, yes, good job, girl. I say to Jeff, hey, you can go to Oklahoma State but I want you to know you're the point guard of our team and that's selfish. And I said it in front of everybody in our program. And so Jeff looked at me like, what do you mean I'm selfish? And, and, and I said to him, well, it's selfish because you've already committed. You're supposed to be a point guard of our team and you're, you're going to party in Stillwater, Oklahoma and do your thing. And you don't, you don't care about us winning. Jeff Newberry and I hated each other before that. Jeff Newberry is one of the favorite guys I ever coached after that, after that specific um, conversation. And what it did was it validated to our team what everybody already knew. And they were going to go talk about it in the dorms. Oh, Jeff's, Jeff's selfish, man. He's in the, he's going up to Stillwater to party, you know, and he's going to go do that thing. He don't even care about us winning. Well, now everybody knows, Hey, the head coach is hip to what's really going on. You're not fooling me. You're not going to con me. And at the same time, I'm holding you accountable. So yeah, you can still go on your official visit, but when you get back, just understand Everybody knows what's up. You can't con a con man, as Coach Jans would say. And I'm not quite the con man that he is, but at the same time, everybody knows where they stand in the program. There's no closed-door conversations. When they have those closed-door conversations or they're back at the dorms bitching about it, then everybody says, oh, shoot, well, Coach already made it known where it stands, so why is this guy complaining about it? Coach has already told him, hey, man, you got to work harder. You don't ever get in the gym, so why would you start? So why would you come over here and say, I don't know why I'm not playing, man? No, we all know where it was. So – if I'm ever head coach again, I think I'll do the exact same thing. Now, you have to have a really good relationship with the guys, though, to be that brutally honest with them within the, within the confines of it. Yeah, and I think that's, that's part of what was a big strength of yours, man, is that guys knew where they stood. And everybody wants to be shot straight you know, and, and have a fair chance. Um, the second question I would ask you with that is just, did you ever have it where it was confrontational or too confrontational? Because I think your confrontation is a healthy confrontation from what I know is calling a guy out and keeping it real but it's not necessarily demeaning or like going over the top or name calling or anything like that it's just calling like like this is what it is my guys always knew and still know I think where I stand with them and that's that I love them but I'm gonna hold them accountable they don't always like that they didn't like it when I was a head coach they definitely don't like it when you're the assistant and holding them accountable they really hate that okay but they know at the end of the day I got what is, in my opinion, their best interest in mind. And I'm going to do everything I can 
to make sure they're successful. So was there a confrontation? Absolutely. Did it get heated? Absolutely. But I'm not afraid personally as a coach of confrontation. Um, I work for Pat Everhart and I always used to tell him, E, you're like Bobby Knight. You're crazy what you're doing. But it's perfect because it helped me with my foundation and understanding that confrontation oftentimes is very good when you're in a family environment. Okay. So for me, um, it, it didn't bother me. Yeah, it happened quite a bit. But again, we all knew where we stood. And to me, that makes so much easier when they're, when you take out the whole environment of, oh, man, coach ain't playing me, and they're just over there bitching. No, man, we're all on the same team. We all got to be on the same uh, you know platform. We all got to be on the same page. And so when that happens, then now you know, okay, we're good. Now, now, now we're all on the same page. And they don't always have to like it. But, again, when you win, that obviously helps it too. And I think to go with it, coach, just to call it what it is, but it just makes it where everything's on the table and everything's in the light. You know what I mean? Nothing's in the dark as far as like, oh, well, coach doing this or this is going on behind the scenes. It's like everything's in the light, everything's out in the open. So now we all know what it is. Let's go. There was never a situation where somebody who wasn't playing didn't know why they weren't playing. They always knew why they weren't playing. They might not have liked what I said or agreed with it, but as a head coach, that's, that's reality. Those are the decisions you make. But everybody knew exactly where they stood at the time. No, that's awesome. I just wanted to add that question in because I think it's important because even as assistants, like you said, uh, I think it's just a powerful thing to be able to do uh, in a healthy way just to be able to call it out. So, um, no, that was great, man. So, awesome job today, man. Really appreciate Say a few more things and we'll, we'll wrap it up, man. Um, well, I appreciate you having me, of course. Um, it means the world to me. What I would say to anybody who's still left on the call, because I did the scouting thing, I noticed a couple people dropped off, sorry. Um, I'm always accessible for those of you who don't know. I, I will, I guess I type my number. I'm not good at that Zoom part. But feel free to call or text me anytime. I love to talk ball. Um, and if there's anything I can ever do to help somebody, I'll do it. Uh, I'm not always great at like getting back to you right away, because obviously life's busy, but I'll always get back to you, even if it's a day or two or a week later. Um, but I, I appreciate it. Um, for you allowing me to talk to you guys and you, Coach Burton, for having me. And um, I, I mean what I say, like, I want to help people, man. So if there's anything I can do to help anybody, uh, 12 people left on the call, if I can help any of the 12 people left on the call, I'm in. Just hit me up. No, it's awesome. And Coach Jans, too, for letting you, you know, really give some details about the program. It's no wonder why you guys are so successful uh, in the details, man, all that stuff just makes uh, such a big difference. You know, the winning is in the details and definitely winning championships consistently and being that dominant because we all know that anytime you're winning in the league, people want to take you down. So credit to you guys for keeping your foot on the gas and continuing to, to build it and credit to Coach for continuing to want to grow. And uh, you're, you're definitely a guy who doesn't get enough recognition for how great you are. I'm glad the rest of the business is starting to show you more love and just Blessed to call you a friend and a brother, uh, bigger than basketball, and just uh, excited to see what you continue to do, man. Yeah, you have me, man. Now, go. both of us got to go enjoy our anniversaries, man, before we, uh, yeah, before we end up. Please, gentlemen, go enjoy your <laughs> anniversary now. Thank you for doing okay. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's my pleasure, guys. Absolutely, man. Thanks again, Jay. Thanks, fellas, for coming on.
Thank you for joining us and welcome to the All Access Network. Be sure to follow, share, and stay connected with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe and hit that notification bell on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to write your story, leave your mark, and create your legacy.